Hello and welcome to Dynasty As They Want To Be, a podcast where we drill into every episode of the iconic 1980s television series, Dynasty. I'm your host, Derek J. Lang, and with me is my co-host and husband, Kyler K. Jafari. Good day to you, sir. Good day, sir. Well, you have prepared yet another fabulous looking concoction for us. What is, what is, what are we drinking today? Well, actually this is, you know, we're going to do like Blake Carrington does and he just goes on a bender and says, we're going to open up just some straight whiskey and drink it out of the glass. So he loves the brown stuff. Yeah. And he don't mix anything. So it's, it's a couple ice cubes and a splash of water, but you know, he's, he's opening up the very special bottles because, you know, when he goes on a bender and he's got millionaire money, he's like, I don't care. This is the 35-year-old stuff. We're going we're gonna to just waste this on my, my drunken, you know, uh, rantings tonight. This is a very special selection from Trader Joe's. <laughs> I've heard of it. I've heard, I know him. Uh, yes, uh, straight whiskey. Uh, I think they're billing it as bourbon. It's it's a little like Maker's Mark, but not even that good. Um, and it's fine. I yeah, don't know. It's not as like a. Well, it's a little smoky actually. It's it, not. It's not bad. It Have I had this before? I don't think so. I would say this is a good mixing whiskey. Like this would make a nice whiskey sour. Mm-hmm. But I think if you're just gonna sip something, this is definitely not to sip. Uh, but you know, we've we've doctored it up with a splash of water and a couple of ice cubes and. It's not bad. It's not bad. Now, is bourbon something new to the Trader Joe's portfolio? Because I know they're always no. Apparently, they started doing this a few years ago, but it didn't turn up at our you know area Trader Joe's until probably about a year ago, um, which I think is interesting because we're in the Southern California market, and I feel like you know we would have been one of the first guinea pigs for that, or maybe I just missed it, or just maybe our store didn't have it. I don't know, but. I think it's made by the same distillery that does Buffalo Trace, but it's definitely nothing like Buffalo Trace. It's definitely not that quality. I think this is something you serve after you've had your good glass of bourbon, and then you're just like, you want that second one, and by then your taste buds are already fried anyway, so who, a, would, who would know? That's you know? a great entertaining trick. I mean, yeah, Jesus always said, serve the best wine first. So. Wow, we're going to be invoking our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, on Dynasty as they want to be? Amen. <laughs> So what else is going on this week, Kyler, besides uh, well, trying bourbon it's interesting. from Trader Joe's? Uh, we just had this uh, random bushel of raspberries in the fridge. So I'm like, why not garnish this, you know? Oh, by the way, we're drinking it out of the Lismore Crystal. Again, very Dynasty style. We should cheers, by the way. Oh, we should. Mm, love that sound. Um, yeah, so uh, there's a random raspberry in, in our drinks. I see, uh, I see. Uh, which, you know, just reminds me of Raspberry Beret. I can never look at a raspberry and not think about that amazing song by Prince. But also what's more amazing is all of the excellent uh, original recordings that his estate has so kindly released to us. You've never really understood the power of Manic Monday or... Uh, glamour life or glamorous life, excuse me, uh, until you've heard Prince's just, I guess they were, I don't think it were demos. I think he just wrote these songs for other people, but then he also had his own original recordings and he just sort of would pick and choose what he decided he wanted to record versus, you know, give to somebody else as a producer. Um, this is just some like amazing, you know, uncovered treasure and uh, I, re- I recommend everybody go out and, and listen to all of these things that, that have been released to us now. Yeah, it's definitely been interesting. You have been wearing down the the playlist with all of Prince's unreleased demos this week. I, th- I knew that he wrote Manic Monday, but I never knew that he like recorded a full-fledged version himself. And it definitely adds another dimension to this song. I think we know I really, really like well. his version better. Of course you do. You're well, such a Prince I, stand. But here's the thing. like The Bangles definitely took everything he did with that and preserved it. So they thought it was just as good the way it was. I mean, I'm, I'm sure in some ways he wrote it that way for them. Uh, but the instrumentation is there. The, you know, the, the harmonics with the vocals... Oh my God. And I, I don't know if that's Wendy or Apollonia or I don't know who that is in the background on the vocals, but like it's almost as good as what the Bangles did with it. So I kind of don't even care. You know, it's almost the same song to me and, and it's Prince doing it, which just makes it that much better uh, in my mind anyway. But yeah, everybody should definitely go out and listen. Now, are these releases part of like a box set? Or? No, I think this was actually that that album, you know, it's like Prince's new album, quote unquote. Oh, I mean, right. It's obviously posthumous, but... Uh, 
Yeah, and also Glamorous Life, um, which was, of course, the amazing Sheila E. song. I I think there's like some debate if she added like some drum into it that like makes it the song that we know and love. I kind of like this version as well. I don't know if I love it as much as the Sheila E version, but yeah, that one is definitely a Sheila E song. It's yeah. not a Prince song. Yeah. Well, you know what Prince always makes me think of when I had the audacity before his death to dress up as Prince for Halloween and it well, but you didn't know it was before his death. No, I of course I didn't. <laughs> My God, I just love Prince. So I thought, oh, I'll be Prince. And I kind of did this sort of like purple rain tour version of Prince where I had this. It was like, like Prince in the Revolution years. It was sort of, I was sort of doing like Prince in the Revolution tour years, but when he was doing like purple rain stuff on yes. stage, because yes. he had many like costume changes. So I had this like shiny purple suit with like a pink boa accoutrement on my shoulder. Lots of diamonds and pearls. Yeah, I did like a, a like a studded diamond pearl shoulder pad. Don't forget the Cuban heel booties. But the problem with it was is I don't have the same body type as Prince. Nobody does. Prince is like the body of Christ. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Quit invoking the Lord in this podcast. Look, I would die for you. Come on. That's, that's like the, the, one of his most amazing songs from that album, by the way. But I'll never forget we went to New Orleans uh, with some friends for Halloween and I wore my Prince outfit and you know, it's New Orleans, you're eating and you're drinking a lot. And I just, I, I just really did not look like Prince. And you made the very... You probably felt like Prince, though. Uh, I guess I was matters. living my best Prince life, but you made This the, was the year that I was dressed as David Bowie from Labyrinth as well. Yeah, we both dressed as so, Bowie and Prince pre-death. And I no longer always, dress up as people I love anymore because it's a curse. They're mm-hmm. all going to die. We are, so we could, we're basically harbingers no of mas. celebrity deaths. Mm-hmm. So, But you made the, the startling revelation of what I really looked like. <laughs> yes, I think I, I said you look like sexy Moliere. <laughs> oh, you're very sweet, darling. You said I look like uh, Fat Prince or <laughs> sexy Moliere. <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, it, it's New Orleans, so it kind of doesn't matter. And like, frankly, we were probably the sexiest people on Bourbon Street that night. So, well, you definitely were. You were getting cat calls all up and down Bourbon Street, well, you and know, Royale Street you got that and St. Charles. belt and some tights on yeah. doing David Bowie things. Yeah, so. well, you, you pulled it off physically a lot more than I did with my Fat Prince costume. Anyway, the reason it made me think about that, talking about Prince, is this episode, they actually jet off to New Orleans. So I'm really excited. This episode was so It's a little so far, good. as Crystal says. Yeah, it's a little far it's, for a birthday party. It's a couple hours in the PJ, but oh, sure, we can do that. Yeah, so let's take a break, and then we'll get into this week's episode. Welcome back. I think we need to just... Get straight into this party. A Ooh, lot of things happened in this episode. It's called the birthday party for a reason. Yeah, that's the episode title is the birthday party. And a lot of things happened in this episode. But unlike some of these crazy titles where they tell you like Fallon's wedding and then they don't show you Fallon's wedding or Crystal's lie and she doesn't really lie about anything. Like we actually had a legit amazing birthday party. This was the best birthday ever or worse. So to set it up a little bit, Crystal is feeling a little lonely because Blake has been working a lot and she suggests that they throw Cecil Colby a birthday party. And Blake is like, are Uh -uh, you not having it? Like, what are you talking about? Go away, tramp. (laughs) He's like, I'm not going to throw that guy a birthday party. Like he, he made me marry off my daughter and also he took advantage of me in a position of weakness to quote unquote save my business but we all know it's so that he can have a controlling interest in his business right and crystal's like well it doesn't matter let's just have a party well, the other let's thing go to his favorite restaurant in new orleans yeah no the other thing though is is blake's not having her either so he's a little bit annoyed with her on this because you know he thinks that she's stepping out on him 
and he he's like, yeah, you might think that Cecil's my best friend, but in my world, my best friend is just my enemy I keep close to me. Yeah, um, I don't think he actually has any best friends. No. He doesn't trust his no, best there, friends, a, and now he doesn't trust his wife. There's a great moment where he's playing pool with the butler, and, and I love they're playing nine ball, by the way, which is like for serious pool players. Like, that's not screwing around when you play nine ball. Which also kind of like under underlies the fact that he quotes this or doesn't quote, but he references uh, Julius Caesar, which, of course, is a play all about how the more power you have, the less you can trust the people closest to you. Mm -hmm. So that's very much where Blake is coming from. And he's like, no, I'm not throwing this guy a birthday party and I don't trust you either. Ho. Right. Well, the reason he doesn't trust her at the moment is because that fucking Michael, the worst chauffeur in the history of chauffeurs has revealed that she sold the necklace, the emerald necklace. So Blake knows that now. And so he doesn't trust her. He thinks that she's stepping out, which all of this is true. So he's not wrong. Have we established, though, is she just emotionally in an affair or have they consummated the affair with with uh, Matthew? I don't think that Matthew Blaisdell's D has been in uh, Crystal Carrington's V, but... His uh, T has definitely been down her T. That's tongue and throat. <laughs> you know, they had that intense makeout oh, session. Oh, I thought you were referencing train and tunnel. So it depends on your definition of cheating. Do you think kissing is cheating? For sure. Oh, really? I, I think... Oh. <laughs> I think... Well, I... It, you know, you're right. I guess it's contextual, but I do think emotional cheating is cheating. I, I do think when mm, you're... That's the Oprah school. Yes. Uh, I mean, I didn't graduate from her fine college, but I do think that... I just took continuing courses at okay. Oprah University. Correspondence course. Mm-hmm. Do you want to make money? Sure. We all, we all do. do. I, I don't know. They Yeah, they did smooch in the oil trailer in that episode a while back. Well, and Crystal, she is, Crystal doesn't doing... view it as cheating because he straight up says, do you oh, have anything to say? I love this. I love this so much. And she can't say yes or no. He asked, like, have you been faithful to me? He Like, he asked the question, brass tacks, and she won't say yes or no. She has cheated on him. Do I have anything to confess? No, I don't. Well, and she's learning that from Blake because yeah, have you noticed yeah. anytime anybody confronts him, Michael, his daughter, Crystal, Matthew Blaisdell, anybody on this fucking show, he always responds with a question. Oh, did you have this person beat up? Oh, did I have that person beat up? And it was oh, my mother always taught me was rude, but <laughs> answering a question with a question. question. Yeah, <laughs> of course it is. But that is his go-to defense. Because he's a negotiator. And in negotiations, you always want the other person to state their starting point first so that you can now argue against that point for something right. better. It's not stupid because it clearly works in all these dum-dums on this show because he gets away with everything. And the but, way he the way the thing that I love is that when he responds with a question, he is admitting guilt. I oh did I have that guy beat up? Did I make sure that the creditors wouldn't give them any money? He's basically saying I had that yeah, guy beat up. What I made sure it? the creditors wouldn't give him money. <laughs> Evil. But, you know, every sentence ends with a question mark. Well, in this case, I think she's, you know, Crystal's finally at a point where she can address that that tactic with him. And I just love that she's like, oh, do you mean do I have anything to confess? So she's not going to say yes or no, I'm cheating on you. And she says, no, I have nothing to confess, basically, which is, to me, I took that to mean, like, I'm proud of, of whatever. I have nothing to hide. I'm not going to confess because, you know, confessing implies that you're hiding something. And she's like, no, I have nothing to confess, which doesn't mean that she's not cheating on him. It just means that she doesn't feel guilty about it. And one of the reasons I love this episode so much is there's this cat and mouse game with Crystal and Blake. So he knows that she sold the necklace and then he tells her, well, let's end up throwing this party anyway for Cecil Colby, even though he didn't want to. But make sure you wear that emerald necklace I bought you. And he yeah. damn well full knows that that's not the real necklace. Yeah, the cat and mouse of it all is really sort of like the driving force through this whole episode, really. Yeah, um, and Crystal, you can see it in her face because, again, Linda Evans's eye acting. 
she knows that she's been cornered and now she has to figure out how she's going to get herself out of this predicament. Yeah, she's under the gun. She's going to have to come up with some tricks here. Right, and- because Blake <laughs> says that he wants to sell the necklace because it'll help get the creditor's office back. So she knows that Which she I'm can't just thinking, sell this fake if, necklace. If this necklace is only worth 40 grand on the uh, the the pawn market, was that really going to save his corporation? No, I mean, I mean he even I, says that any little <laughs> thing will help. And obviously, it doesn't fucking matter. He's doing it to play a mental game sure, with his yeah. wife. So they all board the Carrington private jet to go to New Orleans to uh, Cecil Colby's favorite restaurant. Which they don't really... Like, hell, you have to kind of figure that out. Yeah, there's context clues clues to kind of figure out that they're going to the Big Easy and uh, you know, this French restaurant. This should be again the birthday party. I bet you know, this is like how you're talking about how you didn't like they called it Fallon's wedding and there was no wedding. Well, this is like a birthday party that is totally uncelebratory. I feel like everybody is unwilling, nobody wants to be at this birthday party, everybody's having a miserable time. You know, Jeff and uh, Fallon have already had their their like bedroom argument about like, you know, he's like, why did you marry me? Like, I really want to know why did you marry me? And she offers up a lot of like sort of cute excuses, but never really answers. And then she finally like after, you know, by the way, he like grabs her hair and like, it's like, whoa, now Jeff's an asshole. I know the domestic violence continues. Not cool. Crazy. You know, but this is definitely Jeff's episode where he finally gets some cojones. Mm -hmm. Um, So I sort of get where that's coming from, although it's totally unexcusable. But anyway, and so when he does that, he sort of like extorts this explanation from her and she finally just says, oh, you want it cards on the table you know i'm in an you know i'm a i made a deal with the devil almost immediately fallon realizes that she's made a grave error in revealing why they actually got married and she backtracks she does like the most unconvincing backtrack ever but yeah he doesn't buy it and we doesn't matter yeah she's already exposed the the lie and you know he's got that that information and so now you know he's like oh yeah okay i always suspected this anyway our marriage is a sham And so they're totally miserable. You've got Crystal and Blake who are miserable. So you've got all these like very not, not, you know, involuntary birthday celebratory things going on on this plane. And it should be an exciting time. We're on a plane to New Orleans. Hell yeah. But uh, everybody's just sort of like nervously trying to celebrate a birthday. But meanwhile, they have all these like nasty things going on in the background. And, you know, but before we get on the private jet, can I just say, I love the fact that this scene between Jeff and Fallon is taking place right after Jeff gets out of the shower and he's wearing a baby blue towel dripping wet with like fluffy chest just hair. You want to bang him. Mm, I like his body, but I'm not <laughs> loving his personality or face. But I, you know, I like, I do well, like again, a tall, kind of skinny. This is Jeff's episode. Like, he really, like, it really is. He gets balls in this episode. And I appreciate that about this character. We're getting, like, some real, like, evolution here. And we're but getting balls, too, under that, his towel. Well, maybe. I, you know, at least they're clean. Uh, I, I also love about this scene with the two of them. After she says, like, Oh, you want to know the goods? Well, how about this? Your uncle and I made a deal and I was sold off to save my dad's company. And like, it's sort of like, you know, record scratch, right? Now the, now that Jeff knows that this is a sham marriage and then the camera pulls back and you get this great like uh, shot where they're looking at each other in the mirror uh, at her dressing table. So it's like the first time the two of these people see each other in the mirror together. And it's, it's very quote-unquote reflective Mm, yeah i didn't even really think about that but i love that i think there's a lot of those touches in this episode and you know oh god i hated that last episode so hard yeah it was so disjointed i had to go look and like yes it was a different director than all the prior episodes and this is also a different director for this episode and he's got like all of these interesting things to bring to bear on the storyline you're getting a lot of those fun details and great moments. And I think it's a well-packaged episode as well. Oh, yeah. It moves totally quickly. And there's a lot going on. And the blocking is so great mm, in this. Yes. So this episode was directed by this guy, Bert. Brinkerhoff. Brinkerhoff. Bert Brinkerhoff. Uh, I think the 
not the prior director, but the director who did a lot of the other episodes before was uh, Philip Laycock or something. Yeah, and he did um, many, many episodes. But yeah, this this director, this episode, getting onto the private jet, did a masterful job of making it seem like that private jet was so big. I'm sure that set is tiny. And there were just many, many different little moments happening on the way to New Orleans. It was kind of comical because like in one corner, Andy, the lawyer is talking to Crystal in the other corner, Fallon and Cecil are having a flirtatious moment. And then like Jeff sees it. It's like, how big do these people think this plane really fucking well, is? It is? It's very much like drawing room comedy, but instead of a drawing room, it's, it's a private jet. Mm-hmm. Love that. Also, my favorite part of this whole thing is just the tone because everybody is miserable. Everybody's having a bad time. So they they should be on the Mile High Club. Well, not everybody. So Cecil Colby has brought his little his gal side pal. piece, yeah. yeah, and she's living it up. She's imbibing. You know, a bit I'm too with much. her. I think she's actually taking the point of view of the audience at home. Like she's having a good time. She don't give a fuck. She don't what know what the fuck is to. going on. And like she's just pour me another drink. Yeah, you know? she's here for the PJ of it all. Very nice, Cecil. Little birthday present for yourself. That's ultimately your charm, isn't it, Fallon? You always find something nice to say about everybody. True. Take Miss Bethany now. The innocence of Marie Osmond. The eyes of Grace Kelly. The smile of Goldie Hawn. Does rather look like she was put together out of spare parts, doesn't it? And I, I just, yeah, so she's like sort of the exception that proves the rule with everybody else. I mean, she is an ashat for sure. Because the rest of these people might as well just be on the Hindenburg. <laughs> They're not having a good time. No, I mean, in one corner, you've got Crystal figuring out with Andy how she can like get money to pay for this necklace that she pawned off. In the other corner, you've got Fallon confronting Cecil about his, you know, young side piece. And then they like hold hands and have this kind of loving moment. And they have this like cheesy as hell shot, like with Jeff seeing like through the screen. Well, and how (laughs) moronic do you think that these people are that Jeff isn't going to see it on this, you know, how, how big would you think it 50 feet long? It's it's a 10 by 20 at at most, you know? Yeah, you don't think everybody's going to see you holding hands in the middle of this damn private jet, (laughs) but they do it anyway. And that really seals the deal for Jeff. He realizes she was not lying. He's like, yep, she wasn't. She really did make a deal with the devil in this case the devil is Cecil well, Colby the whole other theme in this this episode that gets addressed very quickly when they get to dinner is just the unholy alliances think about and this whole season's been setting this up think about who's married who's having an affair who's in a business partnership those two people whatever we're talking about are not in a good relationship and Jeff just does this like savage takedown at the dinner at you know once they get to dinner in new orleans but wait can we first talk about this restaurant that they went to now obviously it's a set they didn't go film on location or anything like that but this restaurant is absolutely crazy so they have ceiling fans and this you know to sell that the fact that they're in a very humid climate i guess this is in new orleans because we've been to our fair share of restaurants in new orleans and you know this just yeah this doesn't look like anything we've ever been to it's definitely like a Hollywood set decorators, New Orleans fantasy. But I just love that the ceiling fans are so low that it looks like if John James gets too close, he's going to lose his head. Or at least, you know, the three inches of moosed hair on top. (laughs) And yeah, I mean, like you're saying, everybody's having a miserable time and the actors are totally selling it. Well, again, this is part of like the great directing in here. I think this is some of the best performances we've gotten out of as an ensemble you know like the cast is really vibing with each other and like i'm getting like super performances from everybody no this is right up there with some of those great filmic kind of dinner party scenes mm-hmm. discreet charm of the bourgeoisie yeah you're right well you're sort of getting at the 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 corruption of the upper middle class like sort of being exposed at the dinner table i don't know why that's always like such a good device but it, it's working here for sure 
And I just, I, I just, I can't get enough of Jeff's like savage takedown of everybody. Yeah. You know, so he basically spends the whole dinner dancing with Bethany, Cecil Colby's young side. Well, that's his first trick. He's like, that's what, that's what Jeff's like doing here. He's, he's like, this is very like uh, George from, from Who's Afraid of Virginia Wolf. He's going to like pick a, a guest and just play a game mm-hmm. and he's like he's gonna pull out cecil's ditzy side piece and he's like oh i know her weakness she's just gonna get drunk and and make a fool of herself in front of everybody and make cecil look stupid too uh so he does that so that's the first one and then the other one is when he just sort of like exposes everybody's lies at the table and then he like picks up fallon at the end and just walks out you know like my damage is done bye y'all i mean he's like total nihilist in this and i just love it well it's kind of like you know how on the real housewives you kind of live for one scene every season is like a crazy dinner party where the women come out and they expose the lies they expose what's going on probably because the producers told them to but that's basically usually a table gets flipped. Yeah. Well, not usually, but when it does, that's amazing. Somebody winds up with their top off. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully. No, it really, this really is among those great, nasty dinner party scenes. And well, no, the other thing, like part of Jeff's savage takedown is uh, he even references the emerald studded. He know. saves the best for last. Are you quite finished, Jeff? Not quite. The one I think we really ought to drink to is Crystal. Well, she married into this emerald-studded zoo of ours without any preparation at all. And who knows what price she's going to pay for it. To you, Crystal. Good luck, kid. You're going to need it. And, the, and he's right. This is a zoo, and I love that comparison. And, and like Crystal like clutches her emeralds, which she should be clutching her pearls, but you know Blake wouldn't let her wear those. Is that the next level of clutching your pearls? Is clutching, yes, clutching your, emeralds? your emeralds? Oh my god! Oh, okay, we need to make level. that happen. Yeah, <laughs> I'm clutching run out and get my emeralds. emeralds. <laughs> yeah, and Blake tells Fallon to go take care of go that. Go take care of that. And she's like. Uh, she's, she's your, your wife. wife after you know after she, he said she, he's your husband because he's like you got to fix this Jeff guy he's fucking this party up Blake takes the strategy of retreating he doesn't engage in this oh, no. I don't think doesn't... he's retreating I think this is classic power moves again like use other people to get things done don't do them yourself because then when it comes back it's not on you but he doesn't engage with Jeff he doesn't nope. he doesn't go out at all and he sends Fallon. Oh, no, this is out. child's play for for him. Like he's like, uh, I've dealt with much worse than you guys. Like so, he just sits back and like lets Jeff do his thing. That's true. I think he's probably thinking like three or four steps yeah. ahead. He's not thinking about what's actually happening at this New Orleans. No, Jeff's going party. for the easy target at this point. But I don't blame him. And like, it's nice to see like Jeff not just be a himbo for once. And right. Well, he's obviously been surrounded by this sort of maniacal behavior, so he kind of knows it but he's not you can tell he's not well experienced in the game certainly not as much as Blake and Cecil are so yes it's great that he goes for it but he could use a bit more refinement in his strategy maybe but it makes for great television so definitely part of the uh the unholy alliances um you know you've got Jeff and Fallon which is clearly like a deal with the devil but then you've also got Fallon going out to Crystal after, you know, she runs off clutching her emeralds. And she's like, look, I don't know if my dad knows, but definitely Michael knows. And and I know. I know, yeah. And, you know, Crystal's like, you know, obviously like anxious about this whole situation. Yeah, she needs help anywhere she can get it. Right. And so now she's going to have to turn to Fallon. And Fallon's like, well, look, I can help you out with the money. I can't do anything about that necklace that you got to get back, but I can at least help you with the money. And... Crystal, it's funny because Fallon was telling Jeff that she married him because they're orphans. Here, she's telling Crystal that she can help her out and they're both thieves, you know, honor among thieves or whatever. So there's all these like unholy alliances going on with all of these different characters, uh, which I love. And I don't know that Crystal's really going to take her up on that offer, but... But I don't think Crystal has any choice at this point. No, she's any port in the storm right now. Like, but it also doesn't matter because Blake knows and he's in the power position. So she can do everything she can, but basically the hemorrhaging is happening. I, you know, just this is again part of why I just love Fallon so much. She's like my favorite character on this show other than Claudia. And she's clearly got her own interests, you know, at heart, but she's still 
trying to fix this thing with Crystal again for for her own reasons. Uh, she later goes and like has that like limo moment with with uh, Matthew. And of course, he's like he's too good for all of that. He's not going to help her or, or anything. But she does do, do that classic like rich snob thing, which is like, I don't want this woman to be part of my family. Will you just buy her off? You know, like I'll pay you money to take her away. Right. Well, that's she's not doing any of this out of the goodness of right. her heart. So she goes to Matthew Blaisdell to get him to pay Crystal back because this whole necklace thing came about because she wanted to loan him Yeah, and she's money. like, and Fallon's like, look, if I just pay you this money, will you take her off my hands so that, you know, my father can move on? Right, that's what she wants out yeah. of it. She wants Crystal gone because she's Which, that's coming just, between her and daddy. That's just like that old-fashioned, like, I don't want you as part of my family. Like, what do I have to pay to, like, buy you off because you're not good enough for our aristocratic... Right, you know? well, because if Crystal's not around, then Fallon is going to be head bitch in charge. Mm-hmm. And that's what Fallon wants. Matthew doesn't want any part of it. He's yeah. like, pull over, get me out. This is stupid. I, I, I'm i not going to help you, Fallon. Which I don't even know if they've ever even spoken before in the show. So it's yeah, kind of interesting. It's they interesting have this pairing. Again, very dramatic scene in the back of a limo. I don't know totally what he's thinking, but it does kind of work because Matthew meets up with Crystal at the weirdest fucking cafe I've ever seen in my life that has blacked out Phil's windows. cafe. Yeah. <laughs> the exterior shot clearly shows windows. <laughs> But when you go inside, they've blocked everything out. The, the best part, well, they do some of that, like, uh, I don't know, like local color, like in the very, very like beginning of that scene where the guy's like paying his tab to leave or not tab. He's like, he's paying for his bill because he ordered breakfast. And then like, and then you, the, the camera pans over to Crystal and she's wearing this like impeccable white suit with, you know, a very sharp, you know, teal colored uh, blouse underneath and she's in Phil's cafe and it's like all these like podunks and and hicks and stuff like at like some low rent uh, restaurant location. I think I think what happened is the set decorator spent all of their budget on the New Orleans restaurant so they didn't have any money for Phil's cafe. <laughs> well, um I just I just love the image of Crystal in all of her finery and like what's basically like a waffle house. <laughs> <laughs> um, Moon's over my hammy. So she, yeah, no, she, she gets her money back. Uh, yeah, Matthew Blaisdell this presents is like a, her with this is an a, accordion file filled with 100. Well, it's it's a totally anachronistic, out of context comparison, but I, I got like serious like winkies from Mulholland Drive vibes like because he's like... You know, when the deal is done, then he's like, here's the money. And it just gets passed over the table at, at the diner. And she's like, what's this? And he's like, open it and find out. You know? Yeah. And there's nothing romantic about it at all. No. It, no kissing. No fingering under the table. No money under the table. So after she gets the money, then she goes back to the Carrington mansion. And Blake is getting lit, as we alluded to earlier, on... 35-year-old bourbon. I think he's an alcoholic. Uh, You think? Listen, if you or somebody you know has a problem with alcohol, please seek help. Well, but not Blake Carrington because it actually provides for fodder for this podcast. So please keep drinking. (laughs) (laughs) But Pour me another bourbon. But basically, he wants her to prove her love to him. Do you love me, Crystal? Of course I do. As much as I love you? Yes. More than any man that you've ever known? Yes. Then show me. Show me how much you love me now. Blake. Show me. I know that you love subtext and reading things into things, and I'm kind of a perv, as people have probably noticed from listening to this podcast. During this scene where Blake and Crystal were kind of talking about their relationship, I was getting BDSM vibes. I think that Blake is a dom and Crystal's a sub. And she really likes being in that position. Like she's getting off on him saying, Show me how you love me. Prove it to me. Get on all no, fours. I think that's an excuse based in postmodern misogyny. I think that she's got classic Stockholm syndrome and 
this is all the problems that second wave feminism was trying to deal with. And it's all expressed through like Blake, who's this like tycoon so he can get away with everything. So he's like the ultimate masculine overbearing power. And I don't know. I think she kind of likes it. I think she kind of likes it. I'm getting like a 50 shades situation going what on. What points at her liking it? It's all in those eyes. Like when he was telling her, prove to me that you love me, show me, she kind of lit up a little bit. You didn't notice that? If she lit up, she would have opened her robe and showed him. Well, not in 1981 on ABC, darling. Well, also, it's Crystal. She's not like that. Crystal's like a a lady, and she ain't going to show the goods just because he tells her to. Lady on the streets, freak in the Carrington mansion. (laughs) Well, I the tried. only one that's really freaky is Blake. Again, he's like turning to like, I'm I'm pissed off and I can't trust anybody and all you people are assholes. So I'm just going to open up some expensive bourbon for no good reason other than I just want to get drunk. And he walks off. And you don't know if he took that bottle with him or if he left that bottle on the coffee table. So again, great directing. I don't know. It's there's. I think the three of them went so back to the bedroom moments. together. Blake Carrington, the Crystal bottle. Carrington, and, and the Crystal. bottle. Okay, Crystal and Crystal <laughs> and Blake. <laughs> now, one person that we have not talked about at all in this episode is Lindsay Blaisdell. <laughs> Just kidding. She's not in it. Thank God. No, Stephen Carrington. He had he had the a major B plot going on here. Now he wasn't part of the dinner party. A B plus plot. He didn't go to New Orleans, but he did have a lot going on in his personal life. So the episode actually started with him hosting a little dinner party with him and his sister and Jeff. That's so sweet. It was very sweet. I love it when we get those little moments with Stephen and Fallon. They really are. In a weird way, they are the heart of the show. They're like literally the only people that actually like each other. They're the only two people (laughs) in this family, yeah, that don't have an unholy alliance. Yeah, and they they talk about their love for their father, but I don't believe any of them. Like, I'm pretty sure they both hate their father and realize what a fucking monster he is. That's why Steven even says to her in that scene, like, you know, I love him as much as you love him. Which is uh, it's sort of like uh, Crystal's way of saying, I don't have anything to confess. Mm-hmm. It's the same like saying without How do we saying. like dance around this mm-hmm. and say it? You know? Yeah. Like neither of us really loves him. So you love him as much as I do. You know? So Fallon gets some like sauce or something on her blouse and then she has to go change into one of Steven's shirts and then she notices in the closet. I swear, anytime anybody goes in a closet on this show, secrets Birth are revealed. control 90. <laughs> and now just, you know, sex 90. And I think what's interesting is she finds it and then she realizes that Stephen has had relations with a woman. But like, why didn't she think like, oh, does well, Stephen like I, to wear 90s? I like that they didn't go down the uh, the old road of uh, every gay man secretly wants to cross dress. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I kind of didn't like that they'd go down that road. <laughs> I wanted it to come up. You, you wanted that that quaint comedy of uh, Stephen in, in a 90. Yeah. I mean, at least as a throwaway joke, like, oh, Stephen, do you like wearing this 90? But no, it's obviously Claudia Blaisdell's 90. She left it over there after some hot sex with Stephen Carrington. Which, again, she must be a sex goddess because that that's one skimpy little nighty. And even Jeff is like, yow, when he walks in the door and sees Stephen holding this nighty. I know, that was so funny. So they have a, a cute conversation and that's where it comes up where Fallon and Jeff are at an impasse in their relationship. It's nothing. Don't give me that, Jeff. I may have flunked a few courses at Miss Porter's, but I always got a B-plus on my beef bourguignon. Okay, you asked, I'll tell you. It's Louisiana. What about Louisiana? I found out today why I didn't get the transfer there. It seems your father had a little something to do with the decision. Morvino? Jeff is putting all of the pieces together, and he has the picture now. But this... But this whole thing with Steven to me is about like his apartment, you know, like he's moved out. We already complained about like his unusual decorating uh, in his room at the Carrington mansion. 
And now he's like full blown decorating at the uh, the eighties condo or whatever this apartment is. Yeah, I mean, we got a little peek at the bedroom when Lindsay was snooping around and he was banging Claudia. But I have to say, I'm not super impressed with his apartment. I thought well, it would be bigger. I mean, it is an apartment, and he's humble. You know, he's like he's trying to start out from the beginning. So I get that. But you it know, does have exposed. There are some brick. nice touches though. There's the exposed brick, which yeah. every gay man in the eighties loved. And in the 80s, honey, well, every gay man It's now a timeless brick. classic, but we didn't know back then. It was like track lighting, you know, as they say in Deal Magnolias. But also they've got that nice Burlwood Parsons dining table. Yeah, I love the dining table. Uh, that, you know, so there are some like these touches of like late century modernism that you're seeing. And there's also like that Jetson's fireplace that I feel like was always a prize on Price is Right at this time. Well, Fallon really wants Stephen to reveal his relationship with a woman to Blake Carrington. And I love Stephen's forward thinking sexual positive vibe that he doesn't need to prove anything to his father. What does it matter whether he's in a relationship yeah. with a woman or likes a woman? That's actually not? a very refreshing and still contemporary idea. And it's later reiterated when Ted shows up at the oil field. Yeah. So that's how the episode ultimate ends. stalker, you know, like, and I love that, uh, uh, Steven's like, are you here on business, Ted? And Ted's like, no, I'm not here on business. I'm here yeah, to see you. But he it's basically like, uh, got laid off, I yeah. guess. I don't and know. Use I, that as an excuse. He may not to be there on business, but he's definitely got an agenda because he's like, oh, give me your address and I'll have a pizza and red wine feast waiting for you at your apartment. Yeah, that's I mean, a little bit stalkery. Sorry. You were kind of trying to sell me on this whole Ted Denard as a stalker thing before. And I do wonder because you know you've seen these episodes, so you have some. I'm clairvoyant. You're you have some gay clairvoyancy with it, but um, I'm starting to feel that vibe now. Ted is pushing too hard, and Stephen reveals to Ted that he's in a relationship with a woman, um, and a married woman at that. And Ted, <laughs> Ted's kind of unfazed by it. He's like. Okay, really? Well, can we well, at least have dinner? That and was old fuck hat tonight? at that time. It was like, oh, you're gonna go straight now. I mean, it was it was all those societal pressures mm, to just find yeah, a woman I and make I it work. About that. Which is basically Blake's attitude the whole show. So yeah, I guess I forgot about that. I would think that Ted would be a little bit more evolved, but he doesn't care. He just wants to order a pizza and bang the shit out of Stephen Carrington. So. Yeah, I mean they're they're definitely sort of like trying to sanitize their relationship. It's like, but he didn't fly all the way out here for pizza and red wine. Come on. Anyway, Stephen goes along with it and invites Ted over for din din and drinks, well, and they play a this, little fun literary game. Is, Are you familiar with this game they were playing? No, this is just more of the Shapiro's like literary you know pretensions. Like this is English major mutual masturbation. This is like definitely. let's just throw Ben Johnson quotes back and forth at each other. And poor Al Crowley, like having to like recite bad French. I mean, I think even I don't think it was the character. I think it was just he couldn't chew on that line very well, but that's fine. Whatever. Yeah. Clearly he was not an expert en français. Well, this little game was making both of them horny for each other because Ted said, can I stay here tonight? And Steven was like, mm-hmm. So again, I think this is a bisexual journey for Stephen Carrington. Maybe, maybe not. I, I, I know that probably again, wasn't the is, intention, but that's what I'm getting from it. Like he is swinging both ways back and forth. Well, okay. Yeah, that's totally valid. I think this is more, more unholy alliances. I think the two of them are totally bad for each other. And that's even pointed out when they're quoting each other or quoting this, you know, doing this game of quotes back and forth with, fire versus rain. So, you know, it's, I don't think it's going to work out in the, in the end, but it's interesting. No, it's not going to work out because he has these two people that he's juggling. And Ted at this point doesn't seem like he wants to go anywhere except for Stephen Carrington's king size bed in his new apartment. But the final thing I take away from Stephen and Ted in Stephen's apartment that night is, you know, they're they're Yes, they are throwing these quotes back and forth, playing this game and it's fire and rain and the two of them are not going to work out and they are another unholy alliance like it's just something that's not meant for the two of them yeah to work out. i don't know how it's going to end but it's not going to end well you can just feel that well how it ends in this episode is the thunder and rain cuts to 
the the jewelers you know hawking agency yeah now that crystal got that money from matthew blaisdell she wanted to get her necklace back but uh honey that's in south america now so row what she's gonna do yeah now. he's like sorry somebody bought that i didn't think you were coming for it and he's in south america so you can kiss that necklace goodbye i i guess we'll see I it doesn't know. matter because everybody in fucking Denver knows that she hawked this necklace. It's not a secret anymore. So this doesn't really end on a hugely dramatic note for me. Do you think Crystal is going to get out of this? I mean, you know, but. Here's the thing. I don't remember. I There's a couple moments in this whole show that in my memory, maybe they align with what's about to happen, but maybe they're from a different plot point. I just know if I was in in Crystal's position, I'd be like, get me a fucking plane to South America. Oh, shit. You think we're going to go to South America in the next episode? I mean, we did go to New Orleans in this one, so who knows? Anything's possible. Anyway, that's it for this episode, The Birthday Party. Let's take a break. This was just one of my favorite episodes. I loved it. I loved every second of it. I was riveted. Um, you can watch also this liked... in a vacuum and just enjoy this and just this is a, a, a work of art all on its own. Yes. Listeners, if you have friends out there and you want to get them on board with watching old episodes <laughs> of a 1980s soap opera, <laughs> dial this one up. I think it's a good case study of who the characters are, who the players are, the game. They can kind of wrap their heads around it and it's sudsy and it's juicy. The production values are pretty good. Yeah. This is a good episode to kind of get a nice slice of early dynasty. Yeah, I hope they do too. He did a good job. Anyway, let's take a break and talk about our lurks of the week. Oh my God, yes. Now, in case you're a new listener, this is a segment where Kyler and I each pick out our favorite ensemble from the episode and discuss why we liked it. Because dynasty is as much about fashion as it is about a family fucking each other over. Kyler, what was your favorite look of the week? I I picked out something that just every time we we've watched this episode a few times now and I I keep forgetting this and then I see it and I'm like, "Oh yes, that's just amazing." And it's Crystal's solo dinner outfit at the beginning of the episode and she she just kind of walks into the library and it's this like super sharp, you know, like razor sharp black dinner suit or evening suit and uh it's probably like a silk fiber i don't know if it's like a crepe de chine or something like that but anyway it's got nice shoulders it's a nice it's just i don't know it's a it's almost classic but it's got a little bit of a low cut uh it's you know formed at the waist and it's just it's very crystal it is but it's also a little bit like power crystal it's it's not soft crystal you know, so I I just really like this look, and it's it's very evening, and it's it's almost like I don't think she would wear this, but then I see her in it, and it's like, oh, this is very much her look. You know, I also chose a crystal look. This one came at the end of the episode. Yours was at the beginning, but she it's when she shows up to meet up with Matthew Blaisdell at Phil's cafe, and she's wearing like a really kind of like powerful white suit with a, a teal shirt. She's got the collar popped out of it and got a nice like metallic belt with it. It's 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 very it's like the day version of what your look of the week is. Well I think and it's part got, of what makes this scene so amusing too, because like she's like way overdressed for Phil's cafe. Oh yeah. And I mean that's what they're trying to get across, right? Absolutely. Like this is some cafe where oil derrick workers go. And um, yeah, I don't know. It seemed a little forward thinking. We're getting some big shoulder pad. I know we keep talking about the evolution of the shoulder pad, but I just like, I like the color. I think we haven't really seen her in a lot of light colors. Like sometimes we see her well, in, in and green is a color, earth color, so. earth tones. But yeah, green, it really brings out her eyes and the white really makes her beautiful blonde hair pop. I don't know. It's very different, and it's very like Tony Montana from Scarface. Like it's kind well, of this got... might have come off the runway from Claude Montana, so that all kind of works out in a weird way. Who is she? 
Claude Montana, one of the greatest like designers of the like early to middle 1980s. Not familiar. All right. Well, go check out a fashion show on YouTube and get back to me. All right. I'm going to go Google that right now. Well, that's it for another episode of Dynasty As They Want to Be. Kyler, I want to thank you for joining me along with DJ Jugo for composing our theme song and the artist Lindsay Mound for designing our graphics, which you can find on our social media, which is at nasty, N-A-S-T-Y podcast and nastypodcast.com. You guys, we've been making over 10 episodes of this. So if you're along with us for the journey, go ahead and leave a review, a five-star review on Why not? We iTunes. all have an opinion. Yeah, leave an opinion. If you don't like the podcast, why are you listening to the end of it? Don't leave a review. Just quit listening. Go do something else with your life. But if you're a fan, if you love it, tell others. Tell your friends. Tell people on iTunes or other fine podcast providers tell your friends all right we'll see you guys next week for the episode what's it titled kyler the next episode yeah of dynasty what this podcast is about all right well next week we'll figure out what the episode title is we'll watch it and we'll talk about it hope you guys have a great week we'll see you then happy birthday oh yeah happy birthday (laughs) 